One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm Kylie Camps, and welcome to the podcast. This space is dedicated entirely to making a difference in the lives of women. I believe we all have a right and a responsibility to truly live our best lives. It all begins with curiosity, changing our thinking and cultivating more self-love. Through thoughtful conversations and shared experiences, I really hope that you can take something away from this podcast. I'm a business owner, a speaker, a sleep consultant and mum of twin boys. I've also recently completed some training in the cognitive behavioral therapy space and I'm super, super passionate about the ability that we all have to really improve our days. And ultimately, when we take ownership of improving our days, we're really improving our whole life. So let's get stuck into today's episode. Today's episode is a conversation with Dr. Peter Wright. I'm really excited to bring you this conversation. And if I'm honest, I'm also a little bit nervous. Now, the only reason I'm nervous is because throughout this conversation, I do share something that I've not spoken about before on social media. And I was very much on the fence as to whether or not I wanted to speak about it. But before we hit record and I was speaking with Dr. Peter Wright, who is just lovely. You're going to fall in love with her. She brought up some really good points and she said that this was a great opportunity to use my platform and my voice to reach other women who may be in a similar situation. And so it is with a little bit of trepidation that I hit live on this podcast, but also there's no way I couldn't because This episode is jam-packed with information that women need to know. Actually, scrap that. It is not just women who need to to know this information. It is everyone. There were so many things that Peter says throughout our conversation that I was like, ding, ding, ding. Like, I need to keep that in my brain. And so you may find that you need to listen to this episode a couple of times, or you might come back to it. I definitely suggest that you copy this link now, send it to your gal pals, send it to your partner and get everyone in your life on board with understanding your cycle, our cycle as women. It's just so fascinating and I'm not going to go into all of the things that I loved about our chat because I want you to hear it straight from Dr. Peter Wright's mouth. Now, a little bit about Dr. Wright. She is deeply committed to all aspects of women's healthcare, and she strives to take a holistic approach to managing the health concerns of women of all ages. Peter has an interest and expertise in the areas of pediatric and adolescent gynecology. She also helps patients who are trying to conceive by offering fertility care with a holistic approach. Peter is also passionate about helping women with pelvic pain, endometriosis, polycystic ovarian syndrome, vulvar concerns, painful sex, abnormal pap smears, and menopause medicine. In addition, 
and the reason we reached out to Dr. Peter Wright, she has experience in helping women who are struggling with premenstrual syndrome, aka PMS, and premenstrual dysphoric disorder, PMDD. When it comes to treating any patients and any conditions, it is of utmost importance to Peter that she educates and informs her patients and really aims to empower them to achieve the best quality of life possible. Dr. Peter Wright completed her undergraduate medical degree at Monash University in Melbourne in 2004. Now, during our conversation, we do, by nature of our conversation, cover medical conditions. This podcast is in no way at all designed to diagnose or replace a diagnosis or a consultation with a trained professional. This podcast is a conversation for entertainment purposes, and we do strongly suggest if you have any of these concerns at all to please explore them with a trusted healthcare provider. I hope you enjoy this conversation and I hope that it's really, really powerful for some of our listeners to hear what Dr. Peter Wright has to say. Dr. Peter, thank you so much for making some time in your day to have this chat with our community. I've been really, really looking forward to chatting with you as you can probably tell I was just picking your brain before we started recording that's no problem I'm so excited to talk to you because uh this is something that I talk to women about all day in my practice and as I was just saying to you anyone who listens on the streets who runs into me in the grocery store or anywhere I'm talking about women's hormones so it's fantastic to be able to to speak to your listeners and help to um educate them about their bodies and their hormones and and give them an avenue if they're feeling a bit lost. I love to hear that you chat to anyone and everyone who will listen about this sort of stuff. I think that just shows that you're so passionate and invested. And I would love to know more about how you came to your current role. What drew you in to this line of work? Well, um, when you study it's when, when you study gynecology, you have to do obstetrics and gynecology. So um, I became a doctor, then I um, specialised in obstetrics and gynecology and I went into it initially because I loved uh, seeing babies be born. I love being a part of that. Um, that never gets old. It always gives you a massive mm-hmm. rush of love and excitement. And then I had my little boy and my husband also happens to be a gynecologist obstetrician and I thought oh my god I can't have two of us getting up in the middle of the night to deliver babies and also be there for our little boy it just would have been too crazy and so I stopped obstetrics and it was a bit bittersweet for me at first it was you know I certainly didn't miss getting up in the middle of the night but I did miss seeing you know new life come into the world and being part of women's journeys in that way but then and I don't even know whether you know, I particularly chose this or it chose me, but I started doing more private practice. And so when when you're training, you do a lot of work in public hospitals and you're trained to sort of fix symptoms. And when I went out into private practice, I had more time and I was able to follow women along their journeys, whatever they were coming to see me about. I suppose just like with obstetrics and, you know, that, that nine month journey where they have a baby. And I would have this time and I would be able to listen, really listen to their stories. And 
the same kind of things kept coming up, things that I wasn't really trained in, in my, um, you know, public practice and throughout training. And I realised that there was a big gap in, well, often women aren't really listened to, often dismissed with their symptoms. Mm-hmm. And I think we've all had that where we've gone to an expert, we've gone to a doctor and we've said, this is my laundry list. And it's like, oh, you know, it's just sort of fobbed off. So it's so nice to hear how invested you are. It's definitely a laundry list. I love the way you said that because that's <laughs> what it is. And I think for many doctors, especially if they've got no time, GPs especially who are doing the most, the best job that they can, um, but they have such little time and our current health um, system doesn't support doctors actually giving people time and exploring all the, all the possible roots of their issues. And so I was able to do that and um, I found that just that listening was therapeutic for my for the women who came to see me. I have this box of tissues on my desk and it's never not used <laughs> during a, mm. a consult. Um, and hormonal issues were one of the things, hormonal issues, pain, um, things like polycystic ovarian syndrome, endometriosis, chronic pain, um, PMS, PMDD, which we'll be talking about today, menopause, perimenopause, young women's health, um, you know, cycle issues and period issues in adolescence, they just became so fascinating to me because I actually had the time and the, and I was so passionate about listening to women and getting to the root cause of what was happening. And I guess, I guess a good way to explain what I do is I had a patient once who was in emergency department and she had chronic pain um, and I'd been looking after her for a while and the doctor who rang me up said, um, you do you practice a funny kind of medicine, don't you, Peter? It's like um, it's like gynae psychiatry, and <laughs> it is this real intersection, I guess, of you know conventional gynaecology um, with that basically holistic approach, just managing women as they are, as as the whole people that they are, not just a condition walking through the door, but but in their whole in their wholeness with their lives and their background and previous traumas and what they're currently struggling with because all of that absolutely affects the physical symptoms that they're they're experiencing and that they're coming to me with. Well there's so. something so therapeutic about walking into a space and feeling held by a professional in that energy of going, oh I feel really held and I feel safe and they care for me. And like you said, there's that connection between our mind and our body and the trauma we're experiencing so just to have that relief of going oh someone really cares like I love that term gynae psychology or psychiatry (laughs) I think that that's something that's um, often missing in modern day medicine and because you know you can't do a randomized blind double blinded trial on uh, the attention that you that you give to patients and um yeah, just just being there to listen and hear what's important to them, and um, and I think that's incredibly important part of the therapeutic approach that I take anyway. Mm, I absolutely love that. So you touched on PMDD earlier and mentioned we were going to speak about that today, and I would love to get into that because I know that your time is super super precious. So today, speaking about PMS and also what I would say is the older sister and the mean sister of PMS, PMDD. I would love to know a little bit more, I guess, about what 
exactly those terms mean um, and how to explain it to our listeners because, you know, it's suggested that 40% of women experience PMS symptoms, but there's a 5 to 8 percentage of women who are suffering with extreme symptoms. So can you talk us through, I guess, both of those um, topics? Yeah, sure. Um, I think the majority of women who are listening will understand those kind of, for want of a better word, run-of-the-mill or more mild PMS symptoms. So in the in the week or usually in the week before your period, feeling a bit low, a bit short-tempered, quick to anger, um, it's the time of the month where Often people will say, oh, she's just hormonal, and which just makes me so annoyed when I hear that. Um, but often women can feel teary. You know, they, they'll talk about crying at the drop of a hat, crying at like an insurance ad. That's what I always do. I'm crying at like bank ads and other things. Um, sometimes women have some physical symptoms like bloating, breast tenderness, headache, etc. They might experience um, more food cravings than usual. So you always hear about, or, or many women will be able to relate craving chocolate and carbs and sugar during that that phase of the cycle and just generally feeling a bit lower compared to the rest of the cycle and I can get more into later talking about the hormonal changes and how that influences our moods and, and what we feel because I think that really helps a lot of women to understand what's going on um, and with PMDD I love the fact that you said the, the meaner nastier older sister um, I do think it's a bit of a spectrum um, the the women who come to see me with PMDD or premenstrual dysphoric disorder um, often are suffering from much more extreme severe symptoms that can be really interfering with their quality of life. And in fact, often they have to rearrange their entire lives around those two weeks of their cycle um, where they're experiencing most of their symptoms. They may not be able to hold down a full-time job their relationships may be broken or extremely strained. Their self-esteem, self-worth um, is can be massively affected because often when they feel good in the first half of their cycle and they feel motivated and happy and ready to take on the world, they know that they're just going to come crashing down in the next the next two weeks and so it's almost no point starting anything and they feel get trapped into this cycle of real hopelessness. Um, so the, the main criteria for PMDD is um, symptoms that can begin anywhere from day 13 of the cycle and they're relieved with or after a few days of, of bleeding when they get their period. Um, they need to have at least one severe mood symptom like severe anxiety, depression. Often women actually feel suicidal some make suicide attempts um, or feel the need to self-harm. So it can be really, uh, you know, unbelievably debilitating. It isn't just PMS. Um, uh, they can also feel that the things that bring them joy, they no longer feel joy. They can feel like they're either sleeping a lot or suffering from insomnia. Um, they can have, you know, severe food cravings where they um, binge and often lose control of what they're eating. Um, so that's the sort of scale of symptoms that 
that women may have when they have PMDD. The other thing is uncontrollable rage, and that's something that's really common uh, along with the anxiety, um, depression, um, feelings of hopelessness, just this uncontrollable rage where women who have PMS symptoms might be a bit more likely to snap at their partner, a bit more likely to, you know, be short with their kids. Women who have PMDD and who suffer from rage can just, you know, it can be uncontrollable. And then they can, after they express that emotion and it's, you know, they come out of that phase of their cycle, they can experience terrible guilt for how they've behaved um, around the people that they love. And that can, you know, then then this flow on effects to their self-esteem, self-worth, self-image. So it, it's a really important thing that I, I, I'm so glad that you've given me the uh, opportunity to talk about. I'm so grateful to speak about it with you. And before we started recording, I was sharing with you that I've been having treatment for PMDD for the last couple of months and it has changed my life. I did not realise how impacted I was in those two weeks before my period. Well, I guess, to be fair, I did realise, but I came to accept that as normal and I was so used to the cycle of, okay, and it's funny, I would call it hell week. I would say hell Mm -hmm. week's coming. But when I was really honest with myself and when I was – I've been tracking my period for like – like very litigiously for maybe two years now and I realized I was referring to hell week from 14 to 12 days out Mm. and I was going through so many really really dark um, thoughts and feelings and just struggling so greatly but it wasn't until in the last sort of year that I really noticed, you know, with developing closer female friendships and having more honest conversations, it led me to realize that the symptoms and what I was going through each month were so much more extreme than just the average or expected PMS. Like I knew that I was feeling awful, but I had just kind of, you know, made provisions as best as possible and I would grit my teeth and I would get through it counting down the days. It wasn't until I have closer friends in my life now who would say, okay, it's really not that normal to go that low always, 14 to 12 days out from your period, Mm -hmm. and then to have like a switch would flick the moment I would start bleeding, I am back to normal. Kylie, just what you said, sorry to interrupt, but when you said the switch was flicked, that is what so many of the women who come in and see me say. And if they say that, they almost don't have to say anything else because I know oh, really? that that's what we're dealing with. That's just almost pathognomonic, which means just almost, for me, that that almost gives me the diagnosis that a switch is it's like a switch is flicked and I'm a different person. Oh, and it's, it's, it's more than just, oh, I got my period and that explains why I wasn't feeling great. It's like I feel different in every single fibre of my being. Like everything felt different. The way that I look at the – like everything changes the minute I would start bleeding. And so having these really close friendships that I have in my life now, having gone through a separation and in the midst of a divorce and whatnot, more than ever relying on my female village – and them knowing me so well and going, this is not normal to go this low was so powerful for me to have that insight and then to start exploring, okay, what could possibly be going on? And as I said with you, I've been having, I've been on treatment now with um, 
which we'll talk about treatment in a minute, but like it's like again, like a switch has been flicked. It's so true, and I'm I'm um, really glad that you were able to be in a group of women where you could be so vulnerable, and that's um, because many women feel ashamed to talk about these feelings like, you know, they shouldn't be feeling like this or that there's something wrong with them. And my whole mission in life is to make talking about our cycle and our hormones and the way we might feel differently throughout our cycle be such a uh, known thing amongst women and men that we can just talk about it so that women can know if there's something that's that's out of the ordinary, that needs treatment, that's not normal. And then they, you know, and it's all destigmatized. And um, so I'm, I'm so glad for you that you had that support network. Absolutely. And I'm always saying on social media, track your cycle, know your cycle, know where you're at. And now in reflection, I'm like, well, obviously I was pushing for that because it was so profoundly impactful to me. Like I knew from day 12 to 14 out that things would just be really, really hard and it would be one day at a time. Um, so did, you have to, did you have to rearrange your life around those two weeks? Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. In terms of commitments, um, scheduling, just the, everything, everything to the best of my ability. And, of course, being a mum, you, you just get up and you get through it. You just put one foot in front of the other. But it was the... I guess the anger was so close to the surface all the time. Mm. It was it took up so much energy to stay calm for the kids, and mm. I could do it. But it was kill. It felt like it was killing me and draining me in those two weeks to put on, you know, to stay level. Yeah. Um. And yeah, so many things. But when I realised, okay, this isn't normal, I started researching and reaching out, and I spoke to um, a therapist about it. And as soon as I spoke to her, she said, "Look, it's." you know, and we explored options and that was so helpful. But for those who may be listening and, you know, perhaps they do sit in that 5 to 8% of women who are nodding their head and saying, yes, I'm experiencing some of these things, what do you suggest they do? Like what is the first port of call for these women? So definitely track their cycles. So whoever they go to see, they can go in and say, this is my, these are my cycles, these are when my symptoms are occurring. Um, and so they know it's consistent as well because, you know, we can all have one bad period, but the, you know, technically the diagnosis of PMDD is based on um, at least three consecutive cycles. So having that, your own information so that you can basically give whoever you're seeing that that information so that they may or may not be able to make that diagnosis and then find you the the correct help that you need that's super important um, and then I would see see your GP but if you're not getting any having any luck because unfortunately um, so many GPs are fantastic but it isn't an area that is first of all like many women's issues that's well researched um, and isn't well treated by by many practitioners just because it can take a long time to dig and explore and and get the right treatment for each woman and that can take time and often people aren't trained in in how to deal with it um so if you're finding that you're not getting much um support or just some, the person you're seeing isn't particularly knowledgeable i'd go online 
I'd search for health practitioners in your area that have a special interest in women's hormones and particularly PMS and PMDD. There are certainly um, Facebook groups and forums where women um, who, you know, who've, who've often experienced some of the symptoms that you've, you've experienced and they've gone online and found other women who are feeling the same as them and they might be able to offer you suggestions as to who um, can help you in your area. And I think that's that's quite helpful. Um, so that's probably where I would start. There are um, there's some good uh, resources that can help women, um, such as so WIRIA, which is the Women's Health Research Institute of Australia, which is a um, a women's health clinic in Sydney, uh, run by Professor John Eden, who is a real um, trailblazer in this area and supports lots of women with PMDD and hormonal issues and he's got some great information on their website. Um, I've got a blog on PMDD and PMS that, that goes through the symptoms and a lot of different treatment options as well. And there's also a um, the International Association of Premenstrual Disorders and that is, I think, IMP md.org um, I think um, but we can you can pop that in the show notes and that's got a lot of um, that's got a lot of resources it's got all of the treatments and the research that has been done so far which like I said isn't much um, but all of the evidence-based treatments that are around and then all of the other treatments that women might like to try that may be um, useful for them um, and it's all very evidence-based and, and does have uh, practitioners uh, on their website as well. Excellent, thank you. And so I guess, am I right in saying that PMDD is related to the hormonal changes, but it's not so much the hormonal impact on the body itself, but to do with the receptors in the brain? Is that Yes, that's that's kind a good summary. Right <laughs> yeah, no, that's great. Um, the way so of a lot of the studies they have done in women who have severe symptoms and then women who don't have symptoms, they have studied the hormonal fluctuations throughout the cycle, and they've found that for, in the main, women with severe symptoms have the same hormonal levels as women who don't have symptoms. So our understanding at the moment is that it's a sensitivity at the level of the hormone receptors in the brain to the hormonal fluctuations that particularly occur in the second half of the cycle. Um, would it help if I went through the um, hormonal changes throughout the cycle? I think so. I think that would be great. Um, I really like to talk to women about this, even if they don't have uh, PMDD or PMS, because it affects, because we're not... Um, monophasic, monohormonal creatures. Um, we live in a world that was basically designed by men who are, um, you know, monophasic creatures. So they make testosterone in the morning. That's when their highest dose of testosterone is. And then it's lowest at night. And then every morning that resets. So it's like a 24-hour cycle. But women have a, you know, a normal length of a menstrual cycle is 21 to 35 days. Um, so it's variable, but we have a, a cycle that's longer than 24 hours and our hormones fluctuate during that time. And there's a lot about the way our hormones influence our brain that we were never taught and that there's a lot of research now looking into this um, so that women can be more knowledgeable and we can understand how all sorts of things affect 
the brain, like um, contraceptive drugs and things like that. Um, but in but basically, the beginning of the cycle starts on day one of your period, so the day one of bleeding, and at that time your hormone levels are low. So the hormones that your ovaries make are estrogen, which is the hormone that thickens the lining of the uterus. Um, it acts on the hormone receptors in the brain to increase serotonin so it's excitatory so it gives us energy makes us feel happier so serotonin is a happy uh, neurotransmitter um and in the first half of the cycle our progesterone uh, sorry our estrogen slowly rises and just before ovulation which in a 28 day cycle um, which is an average cycle length it will it will be day 14 that's when ovulation occurs because you have a big peak of estrogen um, showing that there's a big follicle with an egg ready to release, and that's ovulation. With that big peak of estrogen, you also have a little peak of testosterone as well. So mid-cycle, many women are feeling incredible, amazing. Um, not every woman, but that's often when women report feeling happier, feeling more sexy, more confident, um, uh, just, you know, more energy than they do at other times of the month. Then after ovulation, their estrogen falls a little bit as the egg pops out of the follicle. And then the old follicle that contained the egg starts to make progesterone. And progesterone is the hormone that helps the lining to get ready for implantation in the uterus, okay? On, at the brain level, progesterone is really important and often women don't know anything about it. Progesterone converts into a, a neurohormone called allopregnanolone, which activates receptors in our brain called GABA. And GABA is um, anti-anxiety. It helps us sleep. So it's like a chill-out hormone. So we, we want that. We totally want that. So in our second half of our cycle, we get, we get that initial dip of estrogen and then that big rise of progesterone. And then the estrogen comes back up again. So we have um, in the in the... Uh, luteal phase so that's the second half of the cycle we get this high um, progesterone high estrogen so often people are feeling pretty good at that time in an, women who don't suffer from PMDD etc so um, there's a fabulous fabulous woman called Lucy Peach I don't know if you've heard of her no. and I definitely recommend you checking her out and um, for listeners she explains this in an amazing way, but she does it on stage wearing a red sequin jumpsuit in a TED Talk, and she's incredible. And she's written a book called Period Queen, and she's got a podcast of the same name where she basically talks about the emotional landscape of the menstrual cycle um, and ways that we can honour and nurture that throughout the month. And it's fantastic. I couldn't recommend it more. She talks about this phase of our cycle where we've got high estrogen and high progesterone it's like um, it's it, it's like the uh, summer. So we're, it's we're full, we're abundant, we're giving, and all of those things because our hormones are really high. Then, because if our little egg isn't fertilized, the old follicle that was making those hormones will die, and as it dies, it stops making the hormones. So the hormone levels fall. And we're all familiar with that falling of the hormone levels as um, because that's that PMS week or the time where we often feel lower. For women who experience PMDD, that's where often the majority of their symptoms will be. But as I said before, it can be anywhere in the second half of the cycle. So we're having this big hormonal crash. So the estrogen that was 
firing up the serotonin in our brain, making us feel happy and energetic and lovey, is falling. The progesterone that was making us feel um, chilled out and having less anxiety and helping with our sleep is also crashing to the ground. And so that's why a lot of women are going to feel, you know, compared to that high state because we can't be there all the time. They're going to feel a bit lower, a bit more introspective, um, you know, a bit more teary, a bit more emotional, a bit more perhaps wanting to spend time on their own. And that is normal, um, but it's not normal if it's interfering with your um, your ability life. to live. Yeah, yeah. Like, like you were. And the thing is, for women who suffer from PMDD, that fluctuation is just too much so the hormone receptors in the brain are just not dealing with that fluctuation that's occurring at that time um, and so that's what we think is causing it along with there are certainly other things that can definitely make it worse um, so stress so women who are ex currently experiencing stress are, I think twice as likely to experience severe PMS or PMDD symptoms um, previous trauma particularly childhood trauma and I see this a lot in the women that I see. Um, there's a lot, you know, it's not every woman, but it's it's quite a, a big um, number of women. And there have been a few studies on this and how that trauma as a, in childhood may alter the stress response. Um, and that stress response um, can then interfere with the sensitivity of our hormone receptors to those sex hormones later in life, um, which is really wow. interesting. Um, and I guess it changes the way our brains are wired and the sensitivity to the hormones. Um, and the other thing that can make things worse is um, inflammation in our bodies because um, often I find that reducing inflammation through diet and other environmental things, including stress because stress increases inflammation, can actually help symptoms as well. Does that um, makes that sense. is so helpful. I think that's amazing. And I would definitely encourage women to listen back again to that section. You know how sometimes you need to hear it a couple of times just to let it sink in, you know, for women who I guess have kind of, so many of us have grown up just going, oh, we get our period once a month and we just deal with it and we move on. It's so powerful to actually understand no, 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 we are, we're somewhat of a moving target. We're always going through, you know, so many different highs and lows and to actually have the awareness and understanding of that, it's really, really powerful. Yeah, and the thing is the period, right, it's actually kind of the least exciting part of your cycle. So this, the, all of the stuff before the period, so the hormones rising, the little egg growing, the ovulating, that's like the crazy, amazing, incredible part, like that ovulation is how we women make our hormones. There's another amazing author. Uh, she's a naturopath, Dr. Lara Bryden, who's written a book called The Period Repair Manual, which is fantastic and can help women to understand um, their bodies, their cycles, and what they can do to improve their hormones. Um, and she says, you know, if, if men had this event in their if, if how men made their hormones was through ovulation, they would be just shouting it from the rooftop. People would be having ovulation parties. They would be, mm. you know, like but we. It's just so hidden and um, swept it, under the rug. Yeah, and the other thing is the fact that it's been kind of, you know, the mentality that ovulation's only important for if you want to have a baby, but it's actually 
when you understand the the um, effect in that, the working, the, yeah, and the effect that hormones that we make through ovulation have on our brains and then therefore on our well-being it's it's so much more important than just having a baby because you know to to the only way we make um, progesterone is to ovulate so if we don't make it then we don't don't ovulate Mm. or sorry if we don't ovulate we don't make progesterone and now you mentioned at the start of our chat that you really do not like it when people make the comment of oh she's just being hormonal and that is something that I think a lot of women can really relate to hearing, particularly from their male partners. You know, oh, it's, it's as I, I even made light of it saying, you know, I call it hell week. Or men will say, oh, that, you know, my partner's being hormonal because she's on her period or whatever it is. You know, it's a women's issue. And it can be really, really hurtful and minimizing. Mm-hmm. Do you have any suggestions for? any male listeners on this topic to, I guess, build some empathy and understanding other than listening back again to that part about our cycle. Do you have any other tips for our male listeners? Yes. I think um, it's all really about knowledge and education because men, um, most men actually want to understand women's bodies, but when women don't understand them themselves, then, you know, what, what chance have men got when a woman doesn't understand what's happening in her own body so I think them uh you know they're I think they're actually hungry for this information and they they want to understand the women that they love um and so I think you know getting them to listen to that part getting them to watch Lucy Peach's TED talk um which is called I think the power of the period um and I think that when they understand how women's hormones differ from theirs and how hormones influence mood, energy levels, libido especially, because if they get this, they'll also know, ah, at ovulation, when you have high levels of estrogen, high levels of testosterone, and in that little bit after ovulation, that's going to be the time where there's the most energy, there's where a woman's going to be feeling the most likely to, you know, also want to have sex. Um, They can actually... uh, work use that knowledge of her cycle to help support her so that she has actually a better time in the week or two weeks before her period is due and the other thing is about the you know she's just hormonal thing is that often we've been riding high on these like happy feel good amazing hormones that make us nice polite helpful giving 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 how many women can relate to the idea of just giving to everybody all month long and then all of a sudden look you just don't want to do one more thing for another person you don't want to find their socks you don't want to cook their dinner and but we've been high on those hormones for the last three weeks of the cycle and of course when we have we lose that reserve um it's like the feelings are absolutely valid we're just not looking at the world through the rose-colored glasses of the different lens yeah exactly and we're just like hey you know I just don't want to put up with this anymore. And that's the other thing. Sometimes when I'm exploring issues with women relating to, say, anger, irritability, you know, there's obviously the biological stuff that we've spoken about. But often it can be it can be actually an issue that they've had every single month that they haven't resolved. And when those rose-coloured glasses come off, when their hormones fall, they're like they just have they have no time for it anymore. And I think if you're constantly upset about the same issue 
in that time. That's when sometimes you, it's valid. <laughs> you, absolutely, and that's when you should listen to it. Totally, mm. that's when you should listen to it. Yes, I think that's so important to know. And so, if anyone does feel that they may have PMDD how would you suggest they broach that conversation with their partner and the reason I ask this question is I have a friend of mine who I've known my whole life we went to school together and I you know I was sharing with her my experience and she was just tearing up and saying that she has never heard anyone else articulate the same thing she's been going through but when she tries to bring it up with her fiance He's very much like, no, stop Googling, you know, don't go down the rabbit hole. It's all in your head. So how, I guess, when we're communicating with men who can often be a little bit more logical, how, I guess, would you suggest to come at that conversation? Well, firstly, I feel like I just want to give your friend a hug when he said it's all in your head because women are constantly told that and dismissed. told that. Um, so I would, first of all, I mean, she shouldn't have to prove what she's feeling to anyone, first of all, but I suppose if she's trying to get him to understand where she's coming from, showing him her cycle, showing him where her symptoms are occurring, because many women, many men, sorry, partners of women who are going through this, they see the suffering that their, that their partners are going through and they come to appointments with their partner often and they are there, they know her cycle better than they know, know it because they're on the outside looking and they know when these symptoms are coming. And um, if, if she's able to show him, look, this is where they are, this is what's happening from a biological standpoint to my hormones, um, there's obviously a sensitivity level at, the, at my hormone receptors in my brain level um, things that will make it worse are stress, inflammation, etc. So you supporting me throughout the rest of the cycle, and that's another big thing, um, especially women with kids um, and who have response, you know, high-pressure jobs and responsibilities, and often elderly parents, and they've just got so much on their plate. Part of it also is looking through their life and figuring out how, what they can take off their plate who they can delegate to if they've got a partner who will help to support them through this. They can say, right, I'm coming up to that hell week, like you've said, or that week mm -hmm. where I'm going to struggle. What can we put in place in advance to support me going into that to make sure that I'm, you know, scaffolded to the bejesus, yeah. which means I'm giving supported. to myself. Supported the week before. And it's not just the partner and the other people in their lives responsibility but you know the woman's responsibility to say okay I'm going to book in that massage I'm going to put a little bit less on my plate on that week if my hubby can pick up the kids those weeks if he can make a few more meals if I can have a bit more alone time and be able to go to my you know exercise class because exercise is another thing that's absolutely fantastic for um, PMDD um if I can take that time for myself and you can support me in that, I guarantee you the stress part of the of the, that's, that can contribute to the severity of symptoms will be much lower, and um, and and her symptoms will be less severe, and that is actually going to positively affect her partner's life um, mm. and her family life and things like that. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And I am aware that we're coming close to running out of time. But just the last thing I wanted to touch on 
Peter, is you mentioned that it's so important for us as women to take that responsibility of educating, knowing our cycle and then communicating, you know, our symptoms and where we're at because when we are clear in communicating what's going on with ourselves and our bodies, we can then, you know, empower the people in our life to feel like it's a two-way dialogue. They can communicate with us as well. And I just wanted to touch on your beliefs surrounding chatting about your period with little boys and the reason I bring this up is because on social media I always say my kids know like I will say to them I'm due for my period or um you know that's a tampon this happens you know I've always spoken about them spoken about my period with my two little boys and sometimes I'll get pushed back in a DM, you know, I'll get a, a woman saying that's disgusting that you say that to your kids. And it just blows my mind because it goes back to what you were saying about if we can own what's going on for us, we're going to raise a generation of men who just have such a better understanding and awareness. And they're, they're not going to cringe when their partner says something about their cycle. Kylie, do not listen to anyone who tells you that that's wrong because you're raising, you're going to be raising beautiful men who respect and understand the women in their lives. And I laughed when you were talking about that because I have a three-year-old boy and he will, you know, he's been known to get a tampon from my bathroom, take it into the bathroom, say, I've got my period, mummy, um, and, you know, it creates hysterics in our house. And I actually think um, I've got a picture somewhere on my phone of him having found my menstrual cup, which was clean, obviously, and blowing it like a trumpet. Um, yes. So there's a lot of... One for the 21st. Yes, there's a lot of period talk in our house. And I think it's so about changing the language. So, you know, in my in my house, you know, I've got two stepkids, I've got a husband who's amazing and um, talks to women who come and see him all the time about their hormones and the men... And their partners, and I think they really, he feels that they're really hungry for that information too. Um, but we always talk about, okay, what day are you? I've got a stepdaughter and we say, we, we, we're like, okay, what day are you today? She'll say, "What? you're clearly, you know, day 15, Peter, you're overflowing with love for everybody or, you know, you're clearly like day 28, everybody clear out of her way. <laughs> Um, and I think that talking to each other as women and in our families and with men about that, just basically, like it seems completely radical. It seems radical to actually acknowledge the reality of our bodies and the different phases of our hormones um, when it shouldn't be, but it's only because we've all been conditioned from a very early age to think that the only way to be, the only way to be successful is to ignore the fact that we have hormonal fluctuation and to act like men as if we have a 24-hour hormonal cycle. And we don't. And I think there's something incredibly powerful in our differences and in our uniqueness. And if I could get little girls and little boys all to understand that um, our differences and how, you know, having those differences in hormones makes us amazing in a different way that it does to a man. And then our world could rise up to accommodate women uh, rather than just trying to squish them into the um, boxes that um, that sort of the, uh, the patriarchy. Is, yeah. yeah. Then it would be an incredibly different world. And that's like, 
at the heart of, of, of what I try and, and, and teach women about their bodies. It's definitely your message and you share it so well. And when you were speaking just then, Peter, I was kind of in my mind thinking that is so amazing to have that awareness and that connection of going, okay, you're day this, I'm day that. And quite simply, if we wore our cycle on the outside, Yes. We talk about it, you know, yes. like if we moved a bandage from our calf to our knee to our neck, we would speak about that. Yes. Like we would talk about how, you know, something that's going on with our body is happening. So I think if we sort of keep that in mind, you know, the importance of having those conversations and how really it can be an amazing tool for more growth and love and connection and empathy, just it's such a gift. Yeah, and I think that the more women can understand about their hormones and because basically it's about tuning in and listening to our bodies and women have just been taught for eons to not trust their bodies, right? Just keep and, pushing, yeah. And not to listen. And um, I think that that's, sorry, um, that that's, that's the number one thing. Like uh, even just journaling, and I always recommend this for women who have PMS, and, and sometimes PMDD, but journaling and, and just checking in each morning with how do their bodies, how, how do I feel and what does my body need? Um, it's a really simple question, but then you can check in with how that is and then do the thing that's going to make you feel better that day. If it's alone time, ask for it because we need to be better at asking for the things that we need um, and not just expecting that our husbands and our partners and the people in our lives can read our minds. But um, that has one direct path to resentment, isn't it? When we yes. do put that expectation on them. Totally. And they just don't understand because so many women who are struggling with this don't understand. So I think the key is um, education and understanding it. And then, you know, like amazing things happen. Like my beautiful husband will say, oh, your day, like 26, right? I'll cook for you. You go and have a bath. I'll put I'll put the, um, the, our little boy to bed. Here, I've got you this um, chocolate that you like, you know. And men actually want to to be that for their partners. I, I think we just have to I give agree. them the chance. Yes, absolutely. Now I know that I just said that was the last thing I was going to ask you, but I feel like we can't end this conversation without touching on treatment. Yes. Yeah, definitely. The biggest thing that I want any woman who's listening to this who is struggling with these symptoms to know is that there is definitely effective treatments and there are um, they're not all the same. It's not a one-size-fits-all approach. Some things might not work for everybody, but I have not had somebody come to see me who we haven't been able to help tremendously. Um, so I just want to reassure anybody who's having symptoms that they there is absolutely a treatments that work, okay? Um, so I would, like traditionally, the treatment for, for PMDD is to sort of flatline our hormones. Generally, with things like the oral contraceptive pill. Um, I find that this might work for some women, but often it doesn't. And often the synthetic progestin that's in the pill can actually make symptoms worse for many women. Um, we talked before about the magic of progesterone that our ovaries make and how it, how it works as like a chill-out hormone. The synthetic progestins in the pill aren't the same, and they don't convert into that that magic hormone that um, that 
that causes us to um, chill out and release anxiety and things and often it can actually make symptoms worse so if it is working for you that's great because the way the pill works is by basically shutting off the communication between the brain and the ovary stopping the production of any hormones from the ovary and just adding like a a, um, flat level of synthetic hormones and so is that, that the same with the marina and the implanon no. and things like that or it's different? No, it's different. So the marina works, it's got a synthetic progestin in it as well. It's an intrauterine device and so it sits inside the uterus and most of the hormone in the marina um, actually works locally, so within the uterus. It doesn't usually turn off the ovaries. For the first couple of months it can suppress ovulation but after that it usually just works locally. So Um, It seems like many women, it's really interesting because many women come to see me and they've been on the pill for, you know, 10 years and they'll be getting their bleeds every month and they'll think that they're having periods, which are just withdrawal bleeds and not having a cycle at all, but they'll think that they're having a cycle. And women with the Mirena who may not have any bleeding at all because it it works to make the lining of the uterus thin, like it's like a little lawnmower running around mowing down the, the lining of the uterus. Um, they might not have a period or a bleed, but this, but usually their ovaries are actually making hormones, so they are cycling. So it's um, it's all about making sure that whatever treatment you have, that you get really really good information and like explanation about how things work. Mm-hmm. So I don't usually use the pill very often because it often doesn't work. But if it works for you, that's great. Um, there are other options, and it depends on the state of the person who's who's you know if you're if a woman's actively you know suicidal then you're going to go straight to more sort of hardcore treatments right away then if things are you know unmanageable but there's a bit of room to do some less invasive or more conservative treatments um so i would often talk about all of the options and then um and then discuss with with a particular woman what she feels is right for her and then we we can either we start like that so I always as I said I inflammation and stress can make things worse so I work really actively to reduce inflammation and stress in a woman's life um, so in terms of diet an anti-inflammatory Mediterranean style diet is really helpful um, because inflammation can change the way our hormone receptors in the brain are susceptible to our hormones. Um, so things like uh, sometimes some women find that dairy can be inflammatory, um, reducing, you know, sugar, coffee, alcohol, which can be, which can raise estrogen levels um, and, and also be inflammatory, improving fibre intake, reducing harmful fats and increasing good quality fats is also really important. Um, because remember how I was speaking about it's that fluctuation. So you have that big peak and then it's the fall. If you have high estrogen levels, you have to fall lower, right? And so then women may experience more symptoms. So things that can make your estrogen levels higher is inflammation, not metabolizing estrogen properly and not excreting estrogen so that can happen if you're drinking a lot of alcohol if your liver has to metabolize the alcohol first before it metabolizes the estrogen and the estrogen hangs around Um, if you're not using your bowels well and you're suffering from constipation you're not getting enough fiber or or, um, veggies then um, because estrogen is excreted 
you know, with your bowels, Mm -hmm. then often estrogen can hang around as well. Things like environmental endocrine disruptors, which are chemicals in our environment, which can be found pretty much in so many things, plastic. Everything, moisturiser. It's a rabbit hole. Um, and so you can never, like, you can never get rid of them in our world, our modern world, but you can try to minimise them. There's a good website called yourfertility.org.au that's got a really good summary of endocrine disruptors and how you can practically um, try to remove them from your home because they can mimic oestrogen in our bodies and sort of act the same way. So I would be looking at all of that. Things like exercise, yoga, acupuncture for many women that can reduce stress and inflammation. Taking time for yourself um, and just asking yourself what you need and doing that with the people in your life to see what they can, how they can take on some of the load. A big one before I get to the big treatments is often the women that I see who are so overscheduled, have got so much on their plates, have no time for themselves. Um, they also just have almost forgotten what brings them joy. And often, obviously, the biological effects of, of PMDD can amplify that. But um, I, I always ask women to, to figure out or remember what makes their soul sing and do it on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. Um, so things that give them meaning so that they're not just running on this treadmill 24-7 um, because that's going to increase their cortisol levels and cortisol then has an effect um, and interplays with the hormone receptors in the brain. There are some supplements that have been sh- evidence-based and have been shown to help and improve symptoms, um, and they're things like magnesium, B6, and calcium. Um, evening primrose oil is something that's often touted for PMS symptoms, but that usually only helps with breast tenderness, doesn't really help with mood symptoms. Uh, there are some um, some herbal um herbal medicines that have been shown to have a a lot of evidence for so things like chase tree its other name is vitex and i usually recommend a um, over-the-counter preparation called premula and there's lots of studies that have shown that taking that every day of the cycle um, has benefit over placebo for symptoms of pmdd curcumin is another one that has been shown decreases inflammation can help um, in that regard and so some women might want to just start there and they when they find that they rearrange their lives they understand what's happening they're able to give themselves time and reduce the stress in their lives that can be enough for other women it's not enough or their symptoms may be more severe so things like um, SSRIs, so selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, so they are like an antidepressant, but not. But unlike using antidepressant every day for someone who has depression, which you start and it can take weeks to to work, um, using often a low dose of an SSRI just for the time that you have symptoms. So if you had symptoms from day 13 to you know day three of your cycle then you would just take the medication for that time. If it was just the, the last week before your period, you would just take it for that time. And it works to increase serotonin in the brain. Because remember, when your estrogen's falling, your serotonin is also falling, so it helps to prop that up. Mm. And that can be really effective. Absolutely. Um, 
the other things that you can do is um, so I, I like to talk about it as cushioning the hormonal crashes. So adding some natural hormones. So I find this is more effective than using the pill and this is what I often do and have a lot of success with. Evidence for using this is, so what I'm talking about is using body identical estrogen and body identical progesterone. So they're the same hormones as our ovaries make, so not like the synthetic hormones in the pill. And I often might use them just for, again, like the antidepressants, but in the, if you had symptoms from day 13 to day three, then you could use some natural hormones. So natural estrogen, often in a patch or a gel, and natural progesterone, often in a capsule, just for that time. And I find in my practice that that's often really effective. Um, and what it does is it doesn't turn off the cycle, it doesn't stop ovulation, but it just sort of props up the hormones where they are naturally having a fall, if that makes sense. That's um, scaffolding. Like that's right. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, I've treated women like that who have been at their wits end, you know, with anger, rage, difficulty parenting their children whose lives have been completely changed, lots of, like, so many women. So that's something that's really easy. Side effect-wise, there can be some side effects in terms of, you know, a bit of breast tenderness with oestrogen, particularly if you've got high oestrogen as well through some of the mechanisms we've spoken about. So I would always recommend doing the other stuff. It's not just a pill or a band-aid solution it's a whole biopsychosocial approach that I would take because often say if there is a trauma or there is you know that one thing that's been pissing you off month after month after month that's you know that you're not giving validity to because you think it's just hormones if that doesn't change you might need to address that that's right you've got to that's it's your body is trying to tell you something you've got to listen right so you've got to sort of do it all the other thing if that doesn't work for women Sometimes I can use or you can use um, those same body identical hormones but in higher doses all throughout the cycle with an aim to suppress ovulation. So a bit like the pill but you're using um, um, natural hormones and that can sometimes be effective. So that sort of, you know, stops your ovaries from making their own hormones and adds back like a stable level of natural hormones. So it stops the fluctuations, which is the problem with women who have PMDD. If that doesn't work um, or if someone has got super severe symptoms or, you know, they've tried everything else, um, the other option, the thing that has been, you know, studied is uh, using a um, something called Zolidex, which is a a blocker that blocks the release of hormones from the brain to the ovaries. It's essentially like a reversible temporary menopause. So it stops the ovaries from working entirely and stops the ovaries from making any hormones. And usually if a woman's, you know, under 45, obviously they'll need hormone replacement because our hormones are important for bones and metabolism and, you know, you'll get hot flushes if you all of a sudden stop your, ovary, stop your ovaries making hormones. So I would normally add back um, estrogen and progesterone with those, in those natural formulations um, 
after the Zolidex, which is a little implant that you have to have inserted every month. And it can take a couple of months to work. And then after your ovaries are suppressed, then those add back hormones are sort of at a stable level. If that works for women, um, and often, you know, if it's if it's PMDD, that will work. Um, then sometimes if they're not if they're not desiring fertility or they've finished having their family and their symptoms have been super extreme, then they might want to consider a hysterectomy with their ovaries being removed at the same time, which sounds like really radical um, treatment. But for some women who are, say, you know, completely uh, suicidal, unable to function, trapped in this super, super low, dark place, it doesn't sound extreme at all. No, and so, um, and it can just be a huge, huge relief for them, to be honest. And then if they have their uterus and their ovaries taken out, if they're under 45, again, they'll need hormone therapy until they're probably at least 50, 51, because that's the average age of menopause, because, you know, stopping estrogen production before then can have effects on bone and um, increase the risk of osteoporosis and um, and other and cardiovascular risk and other things. But now that they their ovaries aren't making a fluctuating hormonal pattern, they just have a straight level of estrogen um, or progesterone. Sometimes women have you know can work with little um, concoctions, not concoctions, but but um, the right recipe for each woman, whether they need some testosterone, because obviously testosterone is made in the ovaries too, um, whether they still need progesterone for mood, um, and you work with each woman individually to find out what, what suits them. So I basically would go over all of that with a woman who comes to see me, and then generally they choose the, the place where they are and I meet them in that place. And then they they um, we work together to to find the treatment that's best supports them, and then we can work through. If we start at the top of that list, then we work down it if we need to. Um, the other thing I would always do is just check, you know, uh, do some blood tests to check thyroid function and um, to check if a woman is actually ovulating because if they're not making that progesterone in um, the second half of their cycle, then obviously that can mean that they have more severe symptoms too um, and if that's an issue then you can help them figure out why they're not ovulating and that's a whole other thing but it's a real there's such a, real, a spectrum of yes. um, treatment opportunities there and I know that you know for some people listening that might seem really overwhelming but if you can try and reframe it to be encouraging that you do have things to explore and just like you said, just finding uh, finding someone to hold your hand and support you through it and it's just one step at a time. And I love that you said you meet your patients where they are. I think that's such a powerful statement. Well, because often they're so overwhelmed by the time they get to you, feel so hopeless. They've often go, gone to several doctors. They've had to go to people and say, this is what I think I've got. They might have been told that what's happening is normal just to, to live with it. They might have only been offered one um, treatment option, which could have been the pill. They might have been offered antidepressants, which they might not want to take. That might not have felt right for them. Or they, you know, that might have been something that they wanted to take and they weren't offered it. And so I just always work with a, once you have the information and the knowledge, you have the power and um, it's empowering the woman, you know, and then they can be in the driver. I always say, you know, 
you're the driver, I'm the navigator or, or the person sitting in the next to you in the in the front seat of the car to say, okay, this is the map, this is all the information, you tell me now, now that you know all of this, which way do you want to go? And if we go down one road and it's not right, we can say, okay, let's, you know, try this other road and, I'm, you know, you want to find someone who's there to support you. Obviously I should have said as well that some women find um, need uh, counselling um, or to see a psychologist, especially if there's a past history of trauma that they have just not dealt with before because that can be a big part of it. It's like um, it's like women can sometimes get to this point where um, their physical symptoms are there but there's something underneath it and this thing has been tapping them on the shoulder for a long time and they – because in order to survive in the past, they couldn't deal with it. Um, but it's just still there and they need to often deal with it to move move forward. So often I do see women feel so overwhelmed that, and it's actually this big journey of uncovering and going through a bit of pain sometimes, especially if there is a trauma. But that's why it's really important to find a team of people who can really support you and hold you in that if there is something underlying that's um, that's altered your stress response so that you can move forward. Well, you are just amazing and I could speak with you all day. I think it's so, so, um, it's just so special and sometimes rare to connect with a healthcare professional who just takes such a holistic and compassionate approach so thank you for doing what you do and thank you so much for spending some time chatting with me today i'm so grateful where can our listeners find you so i currently work at eve health in brisbane and um i do i do do actually a lot of telehealth consults for women particularly with pmdd um, and other hormonal issues um, who are in different states, so that's not a barrier. Um, so you can just go to evehealth.com.au um, and you'll find me there. And I also have a, a blog, um, um, which is it can be found if you just look up Dr. Peter Wright. Um, and I've got a blog with lots of information about women's cycles, if you want to recap on that, um, as well as um, conditions like PMS, PMDD, menopause, um, pain, endometriosis, all of those kinds of things. So just knowledge is power. And the more you know, the more women can really be powerful. Absolutely. And I will make sure we have those details in our show notes including your Instagram handle, your blog, contact details, all of that jazz. But again, thank you so much. Thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to speak to your listeners who might be suffering and just to reassure them that there are so many treatment options and they will be okay. So just talk to somebody about it. That's the first step. There's no shame in it. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. 
Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.